electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Pete Nigerian, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, election protection, the one sector of the market that could be the ultimate hedge as we count down to next Tuesday. Plus, chipping away at the competition, did AMD just deal a big blow to Intel with its $35 billion Xilinx takeover? And it's back. That's right. We are dusting off the fast money Bitcoin bug as the cryptocurrency soars to its highest level in nearly three years. We'll break down what is behind this Bitcoin boom. But we start off with an earnings alert on Microsoft shares off its after-hour session highs. On the back of results, the company's call is about to kick off. Let's get straight to Josh Lipton, who's got the details. Josh. So, Melissa, I just uh, spoke with Kirk Matern over to Evercore ISI. He covers the name. I want a Kirk's take. To him, it looks like Microsoft, in his words, is firing on all cylinders, beating across all three major categories, strong quarter across the commercial franchises. Kirk called out Azure up 48%. That was better than the street was looking for. Uh, commercial cloud gross margins all-time high, showing, Kirk says, that growth is translating into increasing profitability. I asked Kirk what are his big questions on the call with Sachin Adela and Amy Hood. He says, are enterprises willing to spend given this economic backdrop? What impact is Teams having on Office 365? And how should investors think about that new Xbox console launching in November? As for those segments, Kirk mentioned productivity and business processes, $12.3 billion. That was up 11%. Within that, Office 365 commercial revenue growth of 21%. LinkedIn revenue increased 16%. Intelligent Cloud, $13 billion. That was an increase of 20%. As Kirk noted, Azure revenue growth of 48%. Revenue in more personal computing, $11.8 billion. That was an increase of 6%. Shares not doing a whole lot right now in the after hours. Of course, we don't have guidance yet. We wait for CFO Amy Hood to deliver that for forecast on the call, which starts at 530 Eastern. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton, as he had mentioned, Josh mentioned, uh, no guidance yet. And I'm sure top on everybody's mind is what are they going to say about enterprise spending, especially given the results that SAP delivered yesterday. Pete Najarian, what do you make so far of the quarter and the stock's reaction? Well, they hit on everything, obviously, and he, Josh just went through it. It sounded fantastic. LinkedIn was better. Surface even better across the board with the cloud services area. All very, very strong. So I really we are waiting on now is what you were just talking about. What is the forecast? What do things look like going forward? How's the spending going to look? I don't think they're anything like SAP, Mel. I, I think that was a, an individual thing where it's just SAP. I don't think it's Microsoft but I guess we're gonna find out pretty quickly. I think when you look at where this stock just came from, it made a pretty dramatic run over the last uh, month or two or three, if you go back, back in time a little bit. So it makes a little bit of sense that maybe it's pausing right now. And until we start getting some of the guidance, a lot of people are really focused on that. I'm one of them. I wanna know what that guidance really looks like. But for mm -hmm. right now, obviously they hit on just about every single metric you could ever imagine. Yeah, I mean, you don't need much of a time machine to see where this stock got going. I mean, Guy, really, what a difference a quarter makes. Remember just last quarter, we were sitting here um, and the stock was what, down 7%, 8% in the after hour session because of the disappointment in Azure. And here we are, a better than expected quarter for Azure. 
And I remember the conversation we had then, and I think as her growth, people were looking at the low 40% growth, came in at 48% to Josh's uh, comments. But I got to tell you something, you're talking about a business that you know, did $38 billion in revenue, it's 37 and change, split up basically even across three different business units. On top of that, you have operating margins of 42.7%, and I think the street was at 39.5%. Pete mentioned LinkedIn. People don't even talk about that anymore, but think about you know, how accretive that's been. I mean, it's a wonderful business. The only knock people will make on it is valuation. And obviously, we're waiting for um, some forecasts here. But you know, just looking at the numbers I look at, you're probably talking about a stock that's trading close to 30 times next year's numbers. I think that's okay. It's come down from 233, basically stopped on a dime at 200. I mean, again, we'll wait here what they have to say. But I think you've seen the sell-off in the name already, Mel. Or you want to look at price to sales, which is what a lot of software types look at. Price of sales, 11.5, according to a fact set. Five-year average, 7.4. EV to EBITDA, another favorite amongst, uh, you know, evaluators of software businesses, 23.9 right now, according to fact set. Five-year average, 17.3, Tim. So where are we on the valuation of this stock, in your view? Well, the, the company's re-rated. Uh, you know, Pete's done a nice job of pointing out mm-hmm. where it wasn't expensive over the last year. So I give him credit for that. And, and, and I think it's you know, right. Pick your metric. Certainly as a software company, um, you can make an argument you could be leaning higher. I, I see, you know, at 650 a share in 2022. It's about uh, it's about 32 times. Um, what, what can I add? I mean, the public crowd, public cloud gross margins of 71 percent are extraordinary. Gaming revenue, which is another business we haven't really talked about. Uh, there is some discussion about the Xbox console and maybe, in fact, console goes away. But plus 22 percent on gaming. This is a this is, you know, this is a billion and a half uh, dollar business for them as well. So um, it, it, it's there's a lot of different stories that I think are what make this company uh, at least gives investors as much confidence within the tech space as any. Uh, the, remember, the Azure anxiety of last quarter was down from 57 to 47. You're at 48. Um, I'm not sure you're supposed to be doing cartwells there. But the question is, uh, how much do they continue to steal from AWS? And I think people believe that they are. uh, And I believe that they will, albeit a slower rate, growing top line 11 percent. That's the expectation for the next three or four years. You decide what multiple you want to put on it. But I don't think that where it trades now is unfair. Mm-hmm. And it's getting that boost from the coronavirus. Um, Steve Ross, so Tim had mentioned video game Xbox content, gaming services up 30 percent this quarter versus a year ago. Usually September's a light quarter. Not so this time around. People are at home. They're gaming like you. Y- yeah, they are. <laughs> exactly. So, so let's unpack this. So the guys all hit, hit on a bunch of stuff. So what does Guy always say? He says, bad news, uh, bad news, good price action. That's very telling. What do we have today? We had great news and bad price action. That's very telling as well. So on the exchange, when it comes to the last couple of minutes of the day, Melissa, Mm -hmm. you get market on close imbalances. Everything has been for sale in the tech space. All of these names are for sale. All of these names in the tech space have topped out in September. They all came in drastically after September. They bounced back, but they made a lower high. So I think what the market's telling you is they're done with tech. Even if Microsoft looks great, I wouldn't be investing in Microsoft just now. Well, that's your positioning. And you've taken that positioning for a while where you want to get out of tech and go into the more cyclical names like the chemicals. But, Guy, isn't it too early to make? I mean, since you are the person who who says that the most, good news, bad price action, blah, 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 it's a little bit too early to, to say bad price action. We haven't gotten guidance. We only know half the story right now. 
Yeah, and I don't think Steve is talking about Microsoft specifically in the after hours now. I don't want to speak for Steve. I think he's talking about since, obviously, the beginning of September, some of these things, Microsoft included, by the way, has, you know, underperformed. That's, mm -hmm. I, I understand exactly what he's saying. And, and maybe, you know, if you're waiting for the bad price action, by the time you get it, you're too late to do the trade. So hmm. I totally hear what he's saying. I'll say this, though, you know, I, I look at, you know, there are a couple tells to me. The fact that Zoom video continues just to ratchet higher leads me to believe that we're nowhere near the end of the, you know, the whole COVID thing. And a lot of these stocks that we talk about, uh, they benefited from it. That's just fact. I'm not stating whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's just fact. So I think Microsoft is one of those winners. I'll wait and see what they say. I understand what Steve is saying entirely. But you just break down this quarter, um, you know, the, the slowing growth in Azure seems to have abated for now. I think that was a clearly a concern. And you're talking about a company that has, you know, three different business units firing on apparently all cylinders for all three. It seems like it's, and I hate to say this, it seems like it's a win-win situation, Pete, um, if, if the pandemic goes longer for, for Microsoft and, and the rest of the world, or if it ends. I mean, if it ends and economic activity will theoretically come back, enterprise spending will resume and be strong in theory, but if people stay at home, then Microsoft continues to benefit from work from home. I mean, is this, how can this be win-win either way? <laughs> it seems like they're in a great position. Well, I think that was set up because of what Satya Nadella has done over his tenure as the CEO, Mel. I mean, they really have set the table. Obviously, cloud's been the focus, but they didn't leave out things like Surface that a lot of people would have said, hey, let's get rid of that. They actually made the acquisition uh, of LinkedIn as well. So they, they have positioned themselves very nicely for exactly what we're seeing here. And to your point, in either direction. So that's been a, a great spot. By the way, the consistency of this company is absolutely extraordinary. Now you've had 20 of 21 quarters where you've beat on earnings. I think it's 20 of 22 quarters where you've beat on a revenue. So that's, that's consistent as well. This is a company that is working on all cylinders. And because of the growth, Mel, and, and Tim was referring to this a little while ago, because the growth is there and the growth is so strong, and we haven't even talked about cash flow. I mean, the free cash flow of this company is absolutely extraordinary. <clears throat> the cash that sits on their balance sheet is also yeah. extraordinary. So this is a company that is really sitting in a great spot because if they choose to do anything act for an acquisition, they can easily do that at this point in time. They can use that cash for whatever they want, whether it's buying back shares, dividends, whatever they want. They obviously have that. And that's something that I, I know everybody likes to look at from a fundamental perspective. So there's a lot of different reasons to be excited about this company and the direction going forward and all of the good execution that we have seen in all three of these major categories. And to Guy's point, they're almost equally distributed, almost perfectly, 12 to 13 billion across each one of the three. It's absolutely amazing what they've been able to build here. Tim, we were sort of getting at the point before that SAP may be SAP specific. Is this performance by Microsoft across its business segments knocking out of the park? Is that Microsoft specific or do you think there is an extrapolation to the rest of software? I think Microsoft's in more of a sweet spot uh, in terms of the public cloud. I do think that the S&P story is uh, you know, somewhat idiosyncratic. Uh, but I, I think we have to be concerned about enterprise spending. I, I think we've heard enough, uh, at least whispers, and, and I think even if you, again, I mentioned this yesterday when we talked about SAP, 
the data center stuff with, with Intel. Intel's got their own problems. We're about to talk about uh, another problem for them. But in the short term, I, I do think that there's something that the market needs to be thinking about. And the runaway growth in cloud is something that they can't go at the same pace. And the competitive landscape in cloud can't go at the same pace. But again, back to Microsoft, relative to the peer group, um, you have to feel pretty good about the value proposition. And I just extend what Pete said about uh, the cash and the balance sheet. Look, this is $20 billion a year in buybacks and divs that they're giving you. And, and you know that. And, and I think that's part of what supports the stock. All right. Let's get more reaction to Microsoft's quarter and bring in Jason Snipe, principal at Odyssey Capital Advisors. Microsoft is among his top holdings. Jason, great to speak with you. Thanks for having me. The conference call is going to start in about 20 minutes time. If you could, what question would you ask Satya Nadella? So it's a great question. I think for us, you know, one of the things that we've evaluated when we looked at, you know, what we've seen thus far is, you know, part of what you've already mentioned, the year-year growth on the cloud, you know, their cloud business, which I think is very important. You know, at the end of the day, we're looking also as well as their their market share. So they own about 18% right now of the market share in the cloud space, a solid number two, you know, behind Amazon. So for us, I mean, that, that's been the focus. That's, that's where we, we see the opportunity, and they're, they're a vertical for them as they continue to move along in, their, in their, along their journey in the cloud space. This is, as we mentioned, your largest position, Jason. So I'm wondering if, if at any point do you start or have you trimmed your position just, because, just for out of portfolio management and also given the backdrop of, of potential uncertainty and volatility going into the elections? So absolutely. I think one of the things that, you know, Microsoft is a legacy name for us. You know, I think trading one point six trillion dollar mega, you know, market cap, you know, trading at 37 times earning, which we, of course, agree is a bit pricey. You know, but when we look at the multiple expansion that we've seen, you know, particularly in the tech space and obviously in Microsoft, um, I think it's somewhat justified in this low interest rate environment. So, I mean, time will tell. You know, but I, I think it's for us, it's a it's a stronghold. We're not adding any more uh, capital to the name right now, but we're kind of seeing how how the election and the tailwind, the headwinds, I should say, you know, with the with COVID-19, the resurgence of the virus, as well as, um, you know, lack of stimulus talk at this point. So it's it's a it's a stronghold right now. Hi, it's Steve Grasso. So quick, quick question. For you. That's exactly where I was going to hit. What would make you, A, add to this position, and B, are you nervous under uh, President Biden that the cap gains tax will double? Does that get into your psyche about when to sell your tech? It does. I think, I think it does play a role, you know, because what, what I have looked at, you know, post-election is what are the bipartisan issues, you know, and kind of looking towards the cyclicals, you know, because I think for us it's really the um, you know, some infrastructure spending that potentially might happen. And, and we do think that the fiscal fiscal stimulus will happen as well, which will kind of turn us away more towards some of the cyclical names and material, industrial, um, and then also some of the consumer stock names. So I think those will be the catalyst for kind of reallocation of capital at this point. So that, that's how we're kind of looking at the markets right now from a tactical standpoint. Jason, great to speak with you. Thanks. Thank you. Jason Snipe of Odyssey Capital. Um, and quickly, Guy, let's say you had the ear of Satya Nadella. What question would you ask him when the conference call gets underway in 15 minutes' time? 
Is he concerned about the spend, enterprise spend? I mean, that Tim, mm-hmm. Tim, I think, addressed it as well. I think everybody said it in, in, a, in different ways. But, you know, what is the environment going forward? Uh, or, or is SAP, SA, SAP specific? Or does that portend um, uh, negative things moving forward in the entire space? That would be, I would phrase it differently, but that would be the question I'd ask. Yep. Again, conference call, 15 minutes time. We're still awaiting guidance. So this will be very key to the action in the after-hour session. Sticking with tech here, big deal news out of the chip space today. Advanced Micro Devices buying rival Xilinx. For $35 billion, AMD says the move is part of a broader plan to expand its popular data center business. So here's a question. Did AMD just deal another big blow to struggling Intel, which had trouble specifically in the data center business? Tim. Well, I don't think the data center business for, for Intel is 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 mortally wounded. I, I think the bigger issue are the outsourcing questions. And, you know, Foundry, for example, we should expect an answer for that uh, maybe somewhere in the next few months. So, I mean, I think, you know, it's truly on the manufacturing side that I think Intel is is challenged. I, I think the core business and the data center business is, is doing fine. I, I think this deal is about AMD. Uh, yes, they talk about the synergies, the complementary technologies uh, and the cost savings. It, it's also a company that's using an expensive currency uh, and spending $35, $35 billion in an all cash deal for a stock that's up 60 percent since July was up 160 percent last year. I mean, this deal makes tons of sense uh, if you're an AMD shareholder and for that management team. That, that's what I think. But I think Intel's got to fix their own problems. Yeah. Grasso? Yeah, so you started off with the data centers. Obviously, if AMD's data centers are, are a better number and Intel's uh, are weak, then they're definitely stealing business there. And, and Intel has, has been plagued with delays on its new line of chips to begin with. So at AMD up 70%, would I rush in? Uh, probably not, only because if you know where my stance is on a macro basis. But with, the, with Xilinx, as Tim said before, they have really deep relationships in, in aerospace, in telecom, in industrial. Those are things that AMD might have had a problem getting to. And now Intel is not there as well either. So I think, I think uh, to add this up, if, if I, on a macro level, I have a problem with buying tech right now. But on a granular level, I'd rather be an AMD uh, than Intel. And that was not a would you rather myself. Of course it was. It was. But, Pete, go ahead. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Absolutely. Was. Of course it was. Hey, here's what I would say. I, I would say that, you know, quite honestly, Intel has been struggling. To Tim's point, I mean, their execution has been awful. That's been, and I'm saying this as a guy who owns the stock, and it's, it's frustrating to me. And this is the second quarter where we have, we've seen some of these issues. The data center is one of those areas where they're also struggling. That was the growth area. That was propelling Intel. And it's really not at this point in time because it's slowing and they're getting beat up. And now AMD makes a great move because it opens up. And Steve was just talking about some of the different businesses, but it's also data center. And that, that's a problem. And then you look over at the $40 billion deal where Arm Holdings was bought by NVIDIA. And mm. you see a lot of competition going into a space and you just start to wonder. You wonder, is Intel going to slip even further? That's the questions I have as an, an Intel holder right now, because my concern is they've had two quarters in a row where they've had big missteps. Stock is pulled back again. Now it's even pulled back a little bit further than it did last quarter. And you just wonder, are they doing the right thing? Have they, have they been able to react to come back? And I have not seen that yet. And meanwhile, we're seeing their competition make moves that's definitely going to hurt them in the future. NVIDIA, ARM. Uh, Pete had mentioned Guy. 
Uh, we also had, what, analog devices, Maxim integrated. Now we have uh, AMD and Xilinx. And if memory serves me, Guy, two PowerLunch stock drafts ago, you said Xilinx would be a great takeover target. Ooh. So given this wave of consolidation yeah, in the this- chip sector, what is the next target? Oh, well, that's a, you know, NX, NXP. I mean, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I don't know. You put me on the spot with that one. I can't answer it. I can't answer this, though. Um, and, and I'm not going to make any friends saying this, but it comes down to management. It's sort of like in the NFL draft. The aggressive GMs move up in the draft to get the player they want, and other people sit back and wait. Intel's the GM that's sitting back and waiting, and nothing is coming to him. And Lisa Sue is the GM that's moving up in the draft to make acquisitions. And they're crushing Intel. I mean, just look at the ASPs, the average selling price year over year for data set and Intel. It's a disaster. I mean, that's the word I used a couple days ago. I'll use it again now. And in the would you rather game, even though AMD's had a huge run, I would rather AMD here still. And I think Barclays just slapped a $100 price target on it. So I'm in the Lisa Sue AMD camp for sure, Mel. So I'm sorry I, I didn't exist? answer your acquisition. Do, do I question. exist as an anchor, as a host of this show? Why is the self would you rather? It's just absolutely infuriating on a Tuesday. Tim Seymour, who has his hand politely up. Yes. Uh, uh, absolutely. I raise my hand and I, I follow orders. And, and Mel, could you ask Guy no. who won the Power Lunch stock draft last year? Was it Tim Seymour? Seymour Alpha? No, it, was, it wasn't. It, was not. it, was, it actually it was, wasn't no, Seymour Alpha. It was Syndergaard. It was Syndergaard. It was Thor. If it's, if it's not going to be me, it's going to be Noah Syndergaard. And I am very happy. All very right. proud of Noah. Very proud of Gratuitous Noah. Gratuitous Thor mention. All right, coming up. Shares of cat getting declawed today on a massive drop in profit. What it says about the rest of the industrial space and the economic recovery. And later, Bitcoin prices climbing to their highest level since their peak nearly two years ago. What's behind the boom and will it be sustainable this time? Fast Money's back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Caterpillar falling today after the industrial giant reported a 54% year-on-year drop in earnings. Despite the headline number, results were actually better than Wall Street estimates. Still not enough to help the stock. Cat falling about 3% today. Um, Guy, this was your final trade the other day. I only remember this because you said meow ahead of, so that was very, <laughs> people don't often make animal noises nice in the job, final trade. Um, wow. But what do you make of this quarter and, and what it could mean in terms of what it's saying about the economic recovery? You know, I think the quarter was fine. I think what was happening on the EPS front, people were looking for closer to that 155 level, which is sort of the top end of the range in terms of analysts and stuff. So I totally get it. It's also probably, in terms of the stock, a victim of its own success. I think it was over the summer we were talking about this as a $130 stock, and we thought Caterpillar was a name to watch. I probably stuck around too long, but I'll say this. The 154 level is where we sort of topped out at around mid-September, had a pullback. I think that past uh, resistance becomes support. 
If you look at the quarter overall, though, it was good. And I think they said some decent things about demand going forward. I don't think the world has gotten incredibly better, but it's gotten incrementally better. And as Tim says all the time, the time to get into these names is when the news goes from bad to just sort of good. And I think that's where we still are with Caterpillar. So against $154, I continue to stay with the name, Mel. I think bad to good sounds like a good characterization. The CEO on the conference call, uh, Tim, said that he feels better uh, today than he did a quarter ago. That's not exactly great, but it's not bad either. So it sort of falls into that middling bad to good, bad to okay right now. Yeah, the, the outlook was was actually very upbeat about CapEx in the mining sector and North America and even China, uh, you know, order books. Um, it's also with great irony that Guy meowed last week because there are times in the show we can't even hear uh, ourselves because his dogs are barking throughout the show. So um, th- I find that a little ironic, but uh, love him. You know, what's funny too is Pete's, when they, when they have to play the lap track, uh, you know you have problems, Tim. I'm just saying. Oh, come but on. That was funny on its own. Track. I didn't need a laugh track for that. I didn't need the laugh track. It was funny. It enhances the humor of the joke, I think, the laugh track. Um, it's funny because Pete's actually got dogs, and I've, I've never heard Pete's dog ever on any broadcast that Pete is on. It's amazing how you can keep that. Well behaved dog. Exactly, exactly. But back to Cat, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> These dogs like to eat, Mel. Um, <laughs> I will tell you about this about Cat. What disappointed me, guys, is, uh, yes, they beat the numbers, but these numbers, when you look at the year-over-year numbers, they're just extraordinarily awful, right? I mean, when we look at them, they're down 50% here, they're down 30% there, and, and I just wonder if there's just a little bit more downside. I don't disagree with you, Guy, and you're much better with charts than I am, but I think there's probably $10 further that this stock could fall but looking forward and, and get towards 147, 145, somewhere in that sort of range. But I think in the meantime, as you're looking at that, looking forward, you definitely have some possibilities because if things are getting a little bit better in China and here in North America with residential and all the rest, I think we have a good shot for this stock to make a bit of, bit of a move. But I think it's going to struggle for a while, unfortunately. I feel like I'm conducting a class. Yes, Mr. Grasso, do you have a quick comment on that? Thank Kat? you. <laughs> yeah, so, so Kat, put it this way. If I'm looking at Cat and I'm looking at Microsoft, and I don't know what they are. Cat's a better uh, stock chart than Microsoft is. There's a boatload of stimulus coming out of China. They do a, a just under a $13 billion number with China and revenues. After the election, there's going to be a boatload of stimulus no matter who wins here. I would be a buyer of Cat, and I would give you a little more wider range. I'd be down around the 151, 152. A shade lighter than Guy. That's the 50-day moving average. That's where it checks backs multiple times in the last couple of months. All right. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It's one of the worst performing sectors in the market this year. But our next guest says banks could actually help hedge against any upcoming volatility. We'll dig into the charts to tell you how. And later... Have tech companies outgrown the massive protections they've been granted? Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg are getting ready to make their case to Congress. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The countdown is on. The presidential election is now just one week away, and Fast Money is trading the vote. Our next guest says he has the ultimate hedge if rates rocket higher post-election. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verona, Strategus. Chris, what are you looking at? I would say, well, I'm looking at rates here to start, and I think if there's going to be a source of volatility over the next couple of weeks, it probably comes from rates up, not rates down. Rates down has been the status quo for years. I think rates up would be the source of any vol here. So I want to look at a couple charts, uh, and I want to talk about some ways to play this. Uh, these are 10-year yields short term, uh, really just over the last three or four months. This uptrend that began in late August, early September is actually still intact here. I know rates down a little bit over the last several days, but that trend line has not been violated. We think you find good support in 10-year yields somewhere in this 73, 74, 75 basis point range. I think that will propel rates higher from here. You know, what's been important for us um, if you look at the last several days, even as equity markets have come under pressure, even as concerns about virus, election and stimulus have come to the forefront, credit spreads have actually not deteriorated to any meaningful extent. I want to show you double B corporate spreads. So high yield spreads here continue to trade near um, their cycle lows, their recovery lows. So I think the message from credit here says even with rates up, the economic backdrop or the economic recovery is probably in shape. And what group or what sectors can we think about maybe adding some exposure to in that environment? I would point you to the regional banks here. And I want to start by showing you the regional bank ETF. That's the KRE. Very quietly, it's crept back above its 200-day moving average. There's some good support here near 39. Uh, but what's most important for us is relative to the S&P, regional banks have actually quietly started to outperform. They made new three-month relative highs versus the S&P this week. And if you look at the regionals versus the money centers, they've actually really started to outperform. Regionals have underperformed the money centers for the last couple of years. That seems to be changing uh, over the last several months here. Two names in particular that stand out, fifth third on the long side, ticker FITB, quietly back above its 200-day moving average. The 50 uh, is above the 200 there as well. And then Silicon Valley Bank, ticker SIVB. This is probably the best looking of the regional bank charts. It's broken out uh, of a big base. It's improved relative to the S&P. Mm -hmm. So I think with bond yields, we think ultimately higher here. Credit spreads contained. Look to some of these regional banks for opportunities as an election hedge. So, Chris, if the assumption is that rates are going to go higher and this is an election hedge, is the assumption that Biden will win? I think the assumption here is uh, there's a week to go and the race isn't over. And <laughs> I want to be prepared for different outcomes. 
Um, I, I think importantly, when you look at some of the setups here, you know, rates have been quietly grinding higher over the last two or three months without much attention. I think that's more of a commentary on the economy. We think the market here, the bond market's telling us that the economic recovery is still in pretty good shape, irrespective of who wins one week from tonight. All right, Chris, great to see you. Thank you. Thank Chris you. Verone of Strategus. Guy, you like any of uh, Chris's charts? It's interesting. The KREs, and Chris can speak to this, and I, I know you could buy them, so I'm not asking him, but it's the inverse of the TLT. And I mentioned that because on the beginning of June, I think it was June 8th, the TLT bottomed out around 155, the same day the KRE topped out at 46. So if you think yields are going higher, in other words, the TLT is going to go back and test that 156 level, then the KRE is the place to be. In terms of the big banks, and we've talked about this for a while, and we have to bring it up because it's such an unmitigated disaster. And that's the word we use now for a long time. I mean, Wells Fargo trades like it's gone. You're talking about a multi-year low through that March low of $22. Uh, it's trying to tell you something probably Wells Fargo specific. But then you throw in some other banks, um, City, for example. And maybe that's telling a bit of a different story. But KRE specifically, again, if you think rates are going higher, KRE to 46 bucks. And obviously, City and Wells Fargo both have regulatory issues, regulatory overhang in their stories. Um, but Grasso, it's interesting to think about these banks, and specifically regional banks, as an election hedge. Because when, when talking about rates and bonds in the election, the assumption is always that a Democratic win would lead to a lot more spending, would lead to a lot more bond issues, and you would see rates go higher then. But here we are saying this is a hedge for the election, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a big fan of Chris's work, but I'm with you. First of all, you need the 10-year. If you overlay the 10-year, um, whether it's the KRE or XLF, they're in lockstep. So uh, I do like his Silicon Valley bank pick. That's up 15% year-to-date. That's an anomaly uh, with banks, whether it's regionals or the money center banks. But to your question, if Biden wins the election, rates will go higher. Banks will work. But I do think, as of late, there's a lot of different polls that are on the inside that you're not hearing about. And I do think the biggest upset will be like a 2016 if Trump wins a reelection bid. And then what I think you're going to see is people piling back into tech and selling all of these cyclical plays and rates do not explode higher. So it depends on what you call an election year hedge. But the uh, Biden would be your pick if you want banks to run. All right, coming up, Twitter shares flying to their highest level in more than five years. We'll break down what is behind this big move. And later, we are getting ready for earnings from UPS. Will the company deliver gains as investors are hoping for? The trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a big moment for big tech. The CEOs of Facebook, Alphabet, Twitter, all testifying before Congress tomorrow. And we're starting to get an early look at what they will say. Let's get to Elon Moy with the details. Elon. Well, Melissa, they're going to make the case for why the Section 230 liability shield is so important, not just to their own businesses, but also to the tech industry and to the Internet as we know it. Here's Twitter's Jack Dorsey saying eroding the foundation of Section 230 could collapse how we communicate on the Internet. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will say that Section 230 made it possible for every major Internet service to be built. 
and ensured important values like free expression and openness were part of how platforms operate. And Alphabet's Sundar Pichai said the company's ability to provide access to a wide range of information is only possible because of existing legal frameworks like Section 230. But Republicans in particular are angry about what they see as the platform's abuse of those protections. And in a statement, Commerce Committee Chairman Roger Wicker told us the time has come for that free pass to end. Melissa. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington for us. Tim, what should we expect? We've seen time and time again, and maybe it's no, no coincidence that today in particular, these tech stocks did quite well in the session, where they, they, these stocks just simply shirk off news of any sort of congressional testimony that's going to be required or any impending changes to Section 230. But this time around, there is some common ground between Democrats and Republicans when it comes to some sort of reexamination, at least, of Section 230. There is, but I, I don't think that they, they, they're willing to use that as, as a nexus point to come together at all. Um, and and I, I would potentially be worried about this issue for uh, a different administration or, you know, going forward, there actually may be, uh, even in a blue wave, there may be a, a lot more pressure on these companies. But I, I just choose to point to the ad revenue and really get back to uh, the, you know, where we thought the center of the storm was going to be in May and June. And, and when we started to hear from Facebook leading us out, uh, pointing out that ad revenues were very resilient was the word. Uh, Twitter, uh, I think Twitter has come back. They were underperforming on ad revenue. Uh, I think the expectation on Thursday when they report is that their year-over-year -year ad revenue will be flat, which will be seen as a major victory when you consider where Twitter was in the first couple weeks of June, and we got some updates that they were down 15%. So uh, five-year highs, as mentioned, on the stock. I think you stay in this name. They're, they're starting to really figure it out. Uh, and at some point, I think people you know, recognize that this is one that has a lot more momentum behind it. Yeah, the expectations, Pete, I'm, I'm sure will be high given Snap and what Snap said about ad revenues in its quarter. Yeah, I think the social media world, those guys, quite honestly, I think across the board, whether it's Facebook, Snap, uh, Twitter, obviously, all, all three of those, and their names at all three I actually own stocks in, Mel. I, I, I think there's still much more upside. I know Facebook recently had somebody uh, with a price target well over $300. So it, I think all these names can continue to roll to the upside, and the reason I think so is the ad revenue is just going to continue to grow. Obviously, a political nature of the season now, but as we continue to go forward, the eyeballs are there, and that's something that everybody wants as an advertiser. You want to be able to get to as many eyeballs as possible, obviously, Facebook's got uh, multi-billions, but you've also got these others that continue to grow in certain segments. And obviously, Snap is different than Twitter. Twitter's a little bit different than Facebook. They're all a little different from each other, but I think they were able to go after a lot more ad spend going forward. All right. Coming up, the Bitcoin boom is back. The crypto hitting its highest level of the year. We'll tell you what's got investors so hot for the digital currency. Plus, we're gearing up for a UPS earnings, how you can trade it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. We've got a Bitcoin alert. The cryptocurrency is surging to its highest level in nearly three years. It is now up in nine of the past 11 days. Let's bring in Michael Sonnenschein. He's the managing director of Grayscale Investments, largest asset manager in the digital currency space. Michael, great to speak with you. Being here. Thanks for having me. Um, BTC is also up 25 percent this month alone. And I'm wondering, what do you think is a primary driver of this of this uh, rise especially because, I mean, we're just about a week away from the election. I mean, does that have uh, something to do with this? I think what we're seeing is that Bitcoin has really solidified its role as digital gold in investor portfolios. 
Investors are telling us that Bitcoin warrants a place in their portfolios because they're living in a world characterized by digital exchanges and not physical ones. And it's not just investors telling this. We're seeing the same kind of reports of research coming out from major banks like JP Morgan. And what's interesting is that Bitcoin continues to get challenged. And each time it does, it comes out stronger. And honestly, 2020 has been no exception to that rule. This year, we saw this past spring, one day where Bitcoin drew down almost 50% in a single day. And now Bitcoin's returned to almost 90% year to date, which is you know broadly outperforming the equity markets and a lot of other asset classes. So investors really just can't ignore it anymore. How excited were you when Paul Tudor Jones was on Squawk Box and he talked up Bitcoin? I mean, were, were you high-fiving your partners over at Grayscale? There have been a lot of good tailwinds. We've seen PayPal meaningfully enter the space, public companies like Square and MicroStrategy adding Bitcoin to their balance sheets. And yes, we're certainly seeing it at Grayscale. We've brought in over $2.5 billion in new investor money this year, which is more than double our cumulative inflows from 2013 all the way through last year. So we're seeing growth on all fronts. So, so it's Steve Grasso. So when you just described the volatility that's within Bitcoin, that's what makes me want to stay away from it. So when do you start to uh, feel as if you'll, you'll have a more substantive, sturdy market with a retail audience and an institutional base that will feel comfortable holding it? I've seen the headlines from PayPal, from Square, from Fidelity with the new fund. When do you start to think that volatility where if I bought it today, I don't have to worry about losing 50% tomorrow, will start to solidify a little bit to the upside. I think we're actually seeing already quite a bit of that. You know, what's been interesting over the last year or so is really the the development of a two-sided market, borrowing and lending, derivatives. I think that's really helped to decrease a lot of the volatility that we're seeing in Bitcoin. But I'd also say most of the investors that are coming to Grayscale these days are really looking at their allocations over a medium to longer term time horizon. And so when we do have moments of volatility, like that 50% drawdown day, we had investors looking to opportunistically add to their positions, not running scared because Bitcoin had a, you know, a drawback like it's had before. Right. Michael, always get to great, your, uh, great to get your thoughts. We appreciate it. Thank you. Michael Sonnenschein of, of Grayscale. Um, Pete Najarian, how are you feeling about Bitcoin as a, a, whole, a placeholder in your portfolio today versus, say, two years ago? Yeah, I think people have gotten a lot more comfortable with it, Mel, than they, they were a couple of years ago. I think every year that goes by, people find a little bit more comfort. Obviously, the Jamie Diamonds in the world and so many others that weren't involved initially have stor- sort of started to get involved a little bit. And so I think going forward, yeah, this is going to be something much bigger. I'm getting a little bit more into it myself. My brother John's been into it for multiple years. But I think this is something that we're all adapting to slowly, but we are adapting to it. And some of us probably have gotten there too slowly. And I'm in, I'm in that camp because this is, a, uh, this is a category that's absolutely been on fire. I know it's volatile, but it certainly is a category that's gone uh, just absolutely parabolic versus the markets. Tim, quick thought here. I think the, the next part of this trade is to go into the broader, you know, digital currency markets. And again, you know, we, we've seen this before and, you know, rally in Bitcoin is pulling uh, broader currencies. I think you just have to be very careful. But um, the legitimacy is there. I don't I don't think there's a question about that. I think it's really uh, people need to do their work on outside of Bitcoin where there's opportunities, because I think there are many. Mm. 
Coming up, shares of UPS shipping higher today. What can investors expect when the company reports earnings tomorrow? We'll dive into the options pits when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out UPS trucking higher today on the back of an upgrade from UBS. It says the shipper's margin expansion could continue throughout 2021, and that's not the only thing pushing the stock higher today. Options traders are betting on another beat when UPS reports earnings tomorrow. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So UPS saw more than two times the average daily call volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about $12.80, higher or lower by the end of the week. That's about 7.5% of the stock price. That's more than the long-term average earnings move, but a little bit less, actually, than the last eight quarters, where we've seen moves of over 8% on average. Examples of some of the activity that we saw uh, today with the weekly call options, the 175 strike calls were the ones I had my eyes on. Those were trading for just under $4.50, and just under 5000 ended up trading by the end of the day. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock will exceed that 175 strike price by at least the four and a half dollars that they paid. And that, incidentally, would put the stock at new highs, exceeding the 52 week high that we saw last week after earnings. Guy, what do you think of UPS? And I I ask you your opinion at the risk of being subjected to that UPS video of you in the costume or uniform (laughs) once again. But uh, your your thoughts on UPS (laughs) going into the quarter? First of all. Halloween is this weekend, number one. I actually did work at the United Parcel Service, number two. And I was, a, I was a, one of their greatest employees ever. I know that because they sent me an email suggesting so. And the stock has only gone higher since. What scares me about UPS and probably some of the other guys on this panel is the fact that back in July, stock went from 118 to 160 in a straight line. The $12 that Mike talks about, you actually hope it's to the downside and then you'll see some consolidation because if it's another 12 on the upside, uh, you have a parabolic move in a stock and a company that shouldn't move that way. So I've liked it for a while. You're hoping you see somewhat of a back and fill off of earnings tomorrow morning, Mel. And yes, I did wear the shorts. And yes, I looked great in them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we'll let the world be the judge of that guy. Uh, thank yeah, you, you Mike. <laughs> Put a poll up, some fast money yeah, poll. Sure. Put it up. We'll ask the Twitterverse. <laughs> For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Can't miss interview coming your way tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Phil LeBeau speaking exclusively with the Boeing CEO, Dave Calhoun, after earnings. Catch it right here on CNBC. Time for the Final Trades. Go around the horn, Tim Seymour. Good banks discussion earlier in the show. Morgan Stanley, to me, is the one that trades ahead of the others and weakness off of what were very good numbers. Eaton Vance acquisition, very interesting. Pete Najarian. I'm going to give you a Twitter. I've seen nothing but option activity that says this is going higher. Since the stock was 44 bucks, I think it goes higher. Steve Grasso. We had Guy's Meow. We had Pete's Dogs. I have Chewy for my final <laughs> trade. I'm looking for that $100 price target out of Jeffries. I'm long it. <laughs> guy love the pet themed show but i'm going to give you fire eye which i know we've talked about a number of different times good quarter stock should be higher than it is in my opinion mel all right we will see you back here tomorrow at five for more fast meantime mad money with jim kramer starts right now
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.